Acts chapter 15, if you'll make your way there in the Scriptures. We're going to finish out Acts 15 today. At this point, the dust has just begun to settle from the most important meeting uh, for the local church in regard to truth. If you remember, it's called the Jerusalem Council. And do you remember Peter's words in verse 11? But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ just as they will. And so Peter reiterated the truth of Scripture that you are saved by grace through faith, not by Mosaic legislation, not by circumcision, not by baptism. You're saved by grace through the sovereign, free grace of Jesus Christ at work in our lives through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so, the dust is just beginning to settle from that particular council and that decision. So, once this controversy is settled, just on the heels of that controversy, there's another controversy brewing, and it's found in Acts chapter 15 and verse 36. And actually, the outcome of this controversy, in my opinion, is more painful than any doctrinal controversy and the pain that came out of it. It's a controversy that we look at and we think, oh, in my spirit, this kind of mars the outcome of chapter 15 when we see the difficulty here. And what this sermon is about and the passage is about is a schism between two brothers. All right, let's read the text, beginning in verse 36. And after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaimed the word of the Lord and see how they are. Now Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark. But Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And there arose a sharp disagreement. So that they separated from each other, Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers in the grace of God, grace of the Lord. And verse 41, and he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. So after the churches received their letter from the council, Paul and Barnabas remain in Antioch. And in verse 36, we notice that the Bible does not try to to smooth over difficulty. Uh, It doesn't try to keep us from seeing the flaws of even our heroes in the faith. We know the book of Acts is about the conquest of the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. We know it's about the gospel of Jesus Christ. So, it's almost shocking to see that an argument between two men full of the Holy Spirit of God called to be uh, missionaries to the ends of the earth, isn't it kind of shocking to see that they end up separating over what really becomes a trivial issue? Now let's track back to get you up to speed. If you'll remember, this friendship between Paul and Barnabas began in Acts chapter 9. Do you remember how the Lord transformed the heart of Paul on the road to Damascus and gloriously saved 
him. If you look back, you don't have to turn, but just for the sake of time, listen to 9.26. The Bible says, And when he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples. This is Paul, after his conversion. And they were all afraid of him, and rightly so. This is the chief person who persecuted the church. Pharisee of Pharisees, Hebrew of Hebrews. He drugged. Uh, he was taking family uh, women and children, taking children uh, away from their families, women away from their families. We know what kind of history he had. But listen, but Barnabas took him in and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord who spoke to him and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus Christ. So here is Paul uh, applying for church membership, and nobody wants him to join First Baptist Church of Jerusalem, Right? Because this guy, to them, would uh, drag away Christian brothers and sisters and, and torment them. Why? Because he hated the church of Christ. And now here is Barnabas, son of consolation, the encourager, who is the only one that steps up for Paul to say, hey, you need to have an interview with this guy because he needs to be a member uh, of the local church. And, of course, we know what takes place. So Paul was brought in to church membership. And what a glorious thing to have someone like Barnabas who is willing uh, to stick by you. And that's the case. When you get over to chapter 11, uh, listen to the word. Uh, another example of this is found in chapter 11, verse 22. The Bible says, And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and Barnabas and sent word to Barnabas. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad, for he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit, and a great many people were added to the church. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And here, the very first time that believers are called Christians, here is Barnabas worshiping, serving the Lord, ministering in Antioch, and he goes after someone named Saul of Tarsus, who is probably being schooled by the Lord Jesus Christ at this point, and he brings Paul to Antioch to teach the Word. Now, if you're all worried about your own agenda, it would have been easy for Barnabas to say, man, things are going pretty well, and I'm kind of the, the lead dog here. But that's not his attitude. Here is Barnabas, and he goes, and he finds the Apostle Paul, and he brings him to the church to preach the Word. Acts chapter 13, verse 50. Here's another example of their friendship. The Bible says, But the Jews incited the devout women of the high standing and the leading men of the city. They stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of their district. So here is Paul and Barnabas serving Christ. And not only are they ministering together and taking the gospel to the ends of the earth, but the Bible indicates here that they're part of the first organized persecution against the church after Paul begins his ministry, he's with Barnabas when he gets the persecution. Have you ever noticed how that when you go on a foreign mission trip or you come together as a church family uh, to fulfill a certain ministry endeavor that the Lord knits your hearts together? That's why mission trips to Guatemala and Mexico and around the world are so vitally important, not just for what you do there, but what God does through the workers. He knits our hearts together. 
Well, I want to tell you, there's something that knits your heart together even more than serving together, and that's being persecuted together. Right, Brother Jim? Can you imagine how these two people were knit together at the heart, Paul and Barnabas, not only that because they had served together, but they also were persecuted together. And then let me give you one final example of how they stick together. I mean, these guys, we get the picture that they're knitted together and joined together at the hip, kind of like Ron Young and Jack, right? Jack Tapley. We, you know, these guys are always together doing a project, working together, and you get it in your mind that, man, they're always joined together at the hip to, to fulfill what God would have them to do. And even look at 15.2. And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem. So here is Paul and Barnabas, and what are they doing? They're standing firm on the gospel of Jesus Christ together. They're uh, giving a rebuttal to those who have come down to Jerusalem and said, hey, if you're going to be saved, you've got to have Jesus plus circumcision plus Mosaic legislation. And what do Paul and Barnabas do? They take off the gloves for the gospel. So here's an example of an incredible friendship, uh, of, an inc- of incredible camaraderie together as two missionaries serving the Lord. We know full well that Paul has a missionary heart, doesn't he? And he says at this point in verse 36, let's go back and let's minister to the churches that have already been established. And that's what's taking place there. Paul not only has a missionary heart to go back and find out if these churches are healthy, and this would have probably been over a year and a half span when they uh, started these churches, he now says, let's go back and let's see how they're doing and encourage them. The word visit has in it the connotation of oversight, which is one of the words used for a pastor. So not only does Paul have a missionary heart, he also has a pastoral heart. And he says, let's go back and find out what the health of all of these churches happens to be. And of course, he's going to take somebody with him and who's his choice? Right? The Bible tells us in verse 36, the Bible says, And for some days Paul and Barnabas were serving together, and they're in the church of Antioch. They're proclaiming the word. And the Bible says, Paul says, Let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaimed the word of God. So that is the goal. It's to go back and check on those churches. But here's a little kicker in, this, in the narrative. Barnabas wants to take John Mark. And Paul says something like this, over my dead body. You don't necessarily see that in your English translation, but trust me, it's there. I'll explain that in a few moments. But Paul is not up for this, and the new King James Version catches the, the, the sense of the Scripture a little better with the phrases by saying, Barnabas was determined to take John Mark. But Paul was insistent that he's not going to take John Mark. And you may say, well, why is this such a big deal? I mean, just take the guy along, right? Do you remember what happened in chapter 13 of verse 13? Listen to the word. Now, Paul and his companion, 
companions set sail for Paphos and came to Perga in Pamphylia. And John left them and returned to Jerusalem. So now we're dealing with something additional that shares light on what's going on in this passage. John Mark had forsaken the missionary band. Luke, who is often prone to detail, does not tell us why John Mark left. Perhaps he was a mama's boy. I don't know. The next journey from where they were was probably a hundred miles, and most likely a lot of it was uphill. So maybe John Mark just said, man, I'm done. I like my comfortable bed, and I like my mama's cooking, and I'm about to go to the house. That could have been the case, but Luke does not give us the specifics at that time frame, but this is what's going on. Now, can you think about the, dip, the, the conversation that could have been taking place between Paul and Barnabas? The actual text of Scripture in Acts 13 doesn't tell us, but we learn a little bit from, from Paul here. But can you think for a moment about Barnabas' requests? It'll be good for John Mark, Paul, if we give him a second chance. I know he left you in a bad light, and I know when we were in Pamphylia, he deserted us. But I really believe if we give little John Mark another shot, he might make a missionary. Can you, can you hear the son of consolation, the son of encouragement, saying to Paul, let's give him another chance. And again, Paul's response was something like this, over my dead body. Now the verb tense is important here in verse 37 so Barnabas was desiring, is the best way for you to see that. He was determined, and he wasn't just determined once. He was continually requesting and insisting that John Mark go along. That is in the imperfect tech, uh, tense. So it was in the past and carrying on through the future. And here is the same idea with Paul's rebuttal to Barnabas. Paul was refusing continually to say yes to taking John Mark on the missionary band. Uh, why did he abandon? We don't know. But in Paul's perspective, according to the terminology, John Mark was disqualified for that particular missionary journey. Paul's response is this, dude's not going. And he was insistent that he was not going. So from Paul's perspective, John Mark was a deserter, plain and simple. Can you hear Paul's response? Barnabas, you and I camped out in tents. We were willing to give our lives for the cause of Jesus Christ. We truly lived out for me to live as... Say it louder. Do you believe that statement? For me to live as Christ and to die... Do you really believe that statement? And that's the way they lived it out. They, they lived it out. And can you not hear Paul pleading with Barnabas, look... This guy deserted us. We were willing to forsake all for Jesus and give our lives for the cause of Christ. And here, John Mark runs back home as a mama's boy and leaves us in Pamphylia. And let's add this to it. Not only does Paul say he deserted us, but he was not committed to the work. Y'all see that in the text? So not only did he desert, but we wonder how committed he was to the work while he was there. And what was he doing? Because Paul said not only did he desert us, but he was uncommitted. Now, at this moment, look at me, young, look at me, Baptist. If you're paying attention, 
you've already start to decipher, or cipher as we say in the South, you've already tried, you're trying to assess who's right or wrong, aren't you? Don't look at me so spiritual, because this is all about personalities here anyway, and so I'm, I'm sure you're trying to assess who's right and who's wrong. Okay, verse 38 is obviously the key verse that breaks our hearts. But Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to do the work. And there arose, in verse 39, a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Barnabas takes John Mark and goes back to Cyprus from which he's from, right? That's where Barnabas is from. And the Bible says that Paul takes Silas and continues on. Again, think about this. Realistically, Barnabas had taken a chance on this Saul of Tarsus, right? Had he not? Yes, he did. Uh, when everyone else said kept him at arm's length, here was Barnabas bringing him in. The, the part of being an encourager is what flowed from the veins of Barnabas. It was natural to him to be an encourager. That was his gift. And just because John Mark had faltered once in his life, certainly we should give him a second chance. We don't know what God would do with this individual, yet here is the Apostle Paul, the greatest missionary who ever lived. And here Paul is saying, with equal determination, God's not going. John Mark is not going. Now, could it be possible that there's an undertow here with Paul's understanding of what Barnabas is doing at this point. Do y'all remember what happened in Galatians chapter 2, verses 11 through 14? We're reminded that Peter was spiritually in a wrong place, and he was not having table fellowship with the Gentiles. He said to them, you're saved by grace through faith, and then he would not sit down and eat with them because they were eating some ham, right? And some bacon. And Peter, he was actually listening to some of the Pharisees. You know also what it says is that Barnabas was also tempted to, to agree with Peter in that hypocrisy. So is it possible that in the back of Paul's mind he's thinking, man, you already vacillated on me one time and endangered the gospel, and now you're telling me to do something else that I don't think is right. And so perhaps that's what's going on. Barnabas, you didn't want to have table fellowship with Gentiles, and now you're telling me to take someone who went AWOL on us in the midst of, a, of an incredible missionary journey that was so vitally important. In other words, Barnabas, your track record's not looking too good at this point. Maybe that's exactly what Paul is seeing. We don't know, but there's a sharp disagreement. And that literally, that really doesn't touch how sharp the disagreement really is. The transliteration is into our English word paroxysm. You know what that is? That's a violent clash. I mean, that moves on my heart when I'm thinking about these two individuals. Paul and Barnabas joined at the hip, and yet they have a situation where it's not, well, let's just agree to disagree and we're part ways. No, this was a violent clash between these two men, so violent that they had to separate. And again, when you read this, you think about the gospel labor these two went through. You think about the persecution they endured. And then you think about this argument over something that was, we have to say in many ways it was trivial. 
to the big picture of what God Almighty was fulfilling in their midst, and yet they have this disagreement, and they, they part ways. The Bible says Barnabas takes John Mark, sails off to Cyprus. It's true that from this point on, you're not going to encounter the name of Barnabas. But that's not an indictment that the Holy Spirit of God was not working in Barnabas's life. You're not giving that liberty in the Scripture to say, hey, wow, if Barnabas is off the, the scene, then the Holy Spirit must not have had a positive review of the situation. You, can't, you don't have that liberty. Why? Because Peter's not mentioned after a certain point in the book of Acts. True? Well, the Bible also says, again, that Cyprus... Uh, he goes to Cyprus, Barnabas does, and in verses 40 through 41, we see Paul choosing Silas. Again, it's not necessarily an indictment against Barnabas because the church commends Paul and Silas, but there's no recognition of the fact that the church commends Barnabas and John Mark. We just assume that the Lord is going to work in both situations. So Paul and Silas go back to Syria, to Cilicia. They're strengthening the brethren. And this is the beginning of what we call the second missionary journey. So the first one's over. Paul concludes that journey with Barnabas. And now, with this separation, comes the beginning of what's called the second missionary journey. I like what A.T. Robertson says. No one can blame Barnabas for wanting to give his cousin a second chance. Nor can anyone blame Paul for not wanting to risk it again. A.T. Robertson says, One's judgment may go with Paul, but one's heart may go with Barnabas. How do y'all feel this morning about that? Here is Paul, who owed more to Barnabas than any other man. And here is Barnabas, who is leaving the greatest spirit of his time, perhaps indeed for all time, humanly speaking. Can you imagine how they felt to separate and their understanding about one another? And can you think that they went away from that episode thinking, how do we ever let it get that far? What was going on with us? Can I give you a few points of application this morning and we're done? Here's the first one. Don't allow personalities to to divide us. This is such good advice for a local church seeking to penetrate its community for Christ and impact it universally for the cause of Christ. We must not let personalities divide us. As you read this rift between Paul and Barnabas, we come to realize that it's clear that in their discussion, the gospel is not at stake. In fact, the very mission to go back to all those churches really wasn't at stake. Think about this. If John Mark would have gone spiritually AWOL again and left them, do y'all think Paul and Barnabas would have checked up and stopped? Absolutely not. They would have kept doing exactly what God called them to do. They pressed on every single time. I think Paul, uh, as he dug in his heels, he was thinking to himself, I'm operating with a principle of judgment here, wherein... This is what happened before. John Mark disqualified himself, and I'm not going to risk it again. He's a deserter, and he's not committed to the work. Is that a fair assessment? There's no question about it. That's the principle Paul was working upon. This is what took place in the past. 
This is strategic in its nature to be uh, on the mission field. And John Mark is disqualified. He's a deserter. And he's also not committed to the work. However, there's no doubt that Barnabas felt he was standing for love. Correct? Now, I know it's his cousin. And I know that his cousin's mother had a real nice house. Y'all do realize that that's probably the home that's called the upper room. It's probably John Mark's mother's home where they all gathered. And Paul's response would be, I don't care if your mom owns the White House. This guy's not going. That's Paul's thinking. What Barnabas' thinking is, I'm standing for love. At the end of the day, I think that it's clear that it was their personalities more than anything else that affected their decisions. So therefore, do not allow personalities to divide us in this church. We got some weird people in this church. All right? I mean, I thought people were weird in the South. Now, you know, and you may say that about me, but we all have different personalities. We all have been raised in different ways. We've come from different backgrounds. Uh, Paul, think about this. Pharisee of Pharisees, Hebrew of Hebrews, educated beyond anything we could imagine, knew the Old Testament front and back. And then all of that dropped into his heart one day when he met Jesus, right? And he understood all of that. Here's Barnabas coming from Cyprus, a different background, different personality. Uh, Calvin makes this observation. On a trivial matter, and we say trivial being in the end of everything, taking John Mark or not taking John Mark, is, is that the end of the world? So, so Calvin says, he makes this observation. Over a trivial matter... And what could have been disposed with no difficulty, they burst a sacred bond, the sacred bond of their divine calling. These two men had cultivated unity so often in the realm of hostility and persecution and difficulty. They had banded together against the devil. They banded together against the face of those who sought to stop the gospel. Acts chapter 15, their unity was so formidable that their advancement of the kingdom was the very first thing in their minds, and yet Satan easily brought a trivial matter that separated two people who dearly loved one another. You can't let that happen in the local church. Is everybody listening? You can't let that happen over a trivial thing and a personality clash when you fall out. Man, this is Baptist Life 101, is it not? How many people do you know that have hopped from church to church to church to church because of issues of trivial things? You need to get over it. Some of you not only uh, have a chip on your shoulder, you walk around daring people to knock it off. Right? That's just your personality. You're looking for some way uh, to have a personality clash and say, hey, I'm out of here. I'm going somewhere else. I'm taking my football game on, right? And I'm going home. Well, the fact is, uh, the reality of the matter, I believe, in my estimation, this separation was inexcusable. Because 1 Corinthians 13.5 says, Love does not insist on its own way. Y'all know that chapter? 1 Corinthians 13 is called the love chapter. It's actually in context with the exercise of our Christian gifts, sovereignly given by the Lord. And as you use that gift in the church, 
then love ought to be the pervasive reason for why you're doing it. And in the light of that, the text says, you can't insist on your own way if you're truly going to love people. So with Paul and Barnabas, you have both of them insisting on their own way. And if you're not careful, uh, your imposition of your personality into a situation will cause difficulty among all the people you're around because you just got to have your way. Hello, Tokyo. And you're imposing your personality on the situation, and you're not using love, you're not using understanding, and you're not willing to compromise on a trivial thing. We're not talking about the gospel here, folks. We're not compromising on the gospel. Okay? No matter what. But there are trivial things where we must show love, we must have understanding, and we must compromise. There are so many times when we think we're right. Right is on my side, and I'm standing in the right. And I'm not going to be in no matter what. If you're not careful, all you're really doing is imposing your own personality into a situation that requires not force, but love. All it would have taken is for one of these guys to think about that, right? You know, is it, is it really a hill worth dying over? Let's not just take the high road. Let's take the highest road that God would have us to take. Some five years later, thankfully, God is going to put this schism back together. Isn't that awesome? Aren't you thankful that the friendship didn't end and it was over? But the Bible tells us that in 1 Corinthians, when Paul is giving a defense of the gospel and his own apostleship, he highlights Barnabas as a fellow co-laborer for the gospel. So we don't have a lot of details, but we know that Paul's mentality about Barnabas was one, man, here's a fellow laborer that I love. What about John Mark? John Mark is mentioned three other times in the Word of God. You do know that this is the John Mark who wrote the canonical book of Mark, right? Matthew, Mark. Mark, this is the same John Mark. And listen to what he tells Timothy. This is Paul writing his final letter before his death to Timothy. And he says, get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me for ministry. Isn't that awesome? I'm in chains for the gospel. Would you bring John Mark to me? I want to see him face to face. What an awesome story. We're so thankful for reconciliation. By the way, how can you ever look at the cross of Christ? Where he birthed your very reconciliation to him. As a matter of fact, you have no access to God and no peace with God apart from Jesus Christ. And there's no peace apart from the cross. How can you ever look at the cross of Christ where he bought your reconciliation? so that you could have peace with God and not have peace with your brother and sister in the Lord. How can we ever do that? Makes no sense to me. That doesn't mean we have to always agree. But when we just have this attitude, oh, this person's got this person out, I just can't take it, and just irks me, and I just can't serve in the church because of that personality, you've got the personality problem. Okay? So it's plain, I think, from Scripture that it wasn't a permanent rift, that God actually mended the schism. So don't allow personalities to divide us. Number two, the sovereignty of God overrules the schisms of men. Aren't you all thankful for that? That God can even hit a straight lick with a crooked stick. And God has the power to overrule the schisms of men. Folks, he's got the power to move the entire Roman Empire to have a census so that Jesus is born in Bethlehem. 
If God can move the whole world to get His will accomplished, don't you think that He can override the foolish decisions of men? And instead of one pair of missionaries, we now have... Instead of one missionary band, we now have two. Now, this goes without warrant uh, that you should never be divisive or schismatic or inflexible because some people make this argument. Well... I know our church split, and I know we went over here on the other side of town and started. It's almost like you have a church named Friendship, and they split and have a church named Unity and Fellowship, right? And here's what they say. Well, you know now, God's just got two witnesses in this community and two churches. Don't ever say that. You have no idea why God did that. However, or it's probably because of you being a knucklehead. That's exactly why God did it. But the fact of the matter is, that kind of statement is very small comfort for dividing a church of the Lord. Okay? So it'd be easy to say, well, you know, God just, just look at Paul and Barnabas. They had a schism and God started two works. Well, here's what we do know for sure. We know for sure that God was glorified even in their mistakes. God is able to overrule even the schisms of men to get His will accomplished. Dennis Johnson says this, God uses sinful servants, and He never excuses our sins, but it does always glorify His grace. That is so true. Don't let personalities divide us. Understand that the sovereignty of God, our God is in control of all things, and He overrules the schisms of men. And here's the final thing. Inflexibility among God's people in non-essentials harms the church. Y'all got that? Inflexibility... Among God's people in non-essentials harms the church. Listen to, listen to Calvin one more time. We are therefore warned by this example that unless the servants of Christ are intent on keeping a sharp look around, many chinks are open to Satan by which he may steal in order to disturb the harmony among the brothers. Folks, we need to stop and think about what this would have caused to that church in Antioch. These two guys, God used instrumentality-wise to start that church. Perhaps the greatest sending missionary church in the history of the world was the church of Antioch. It was an international beachhead for sending out missionaries all over the face of the earth. Do you, just imagine for a moment how they viewed Paul and Barnabas, their two leaders, separating. And what kind of difficulty... That caused in the church. Two brothers who loved each other and labored together for the sake of the gospel, and now they're separated. Inflexibility among the people of God harms the people of God. On non-essentials. You know, there is a time to take a stand. There's a time to dig in our heels. Uh, there's a time uh, to stand up for the truth. And it's when the gospel is at stake. And, of course, there are many other things but you have to ask yourself a question today, personally. Let's, let's bring this home to our own lives. Are you, am I, standing in the way of peace and reconciliation because of my own personality? I dare say that someone listening to me is in this situation that I've just preached. I mean, we have five or 600 people coming here on Sunday. There's a good chance that your own personality has driven a wedge between you and someone else that Christ died for, a brother and sister in the Lord. 
Am I determined to be right all the time and never bend, never give, and only leave wounded people in my path? Is that your personality? Now, don't misread the text. Because some of you are still assessing this and saying, Barnabas is right, Paul is right. I want to remind you that even the son of consolation, meaning Barnabas, was insistent on having his own way. Right? He would not give. He was determined and would not bend. And then you have this stone-faced Apostle Paul with set jaw, not giving an inch. Well, I think we all need to think about what we can do for peace. Right? When you got this disagreement and a schism between brothers and sisters, if this happened to the Apostle Paul, the greatest missionary and perhaps Christian that ever lived, and the one called the Son of Consolation, how much more should we be on guard in this church family not to allow this to take place and make absolutely sure that we're doing whatever we can to build peace and unity in this church family? May God Almighty grant the FBCO church family not to always be right, but preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. You say, well, what does that mean for me? Well, perhaps you need to repent today. Perhaps there's an attitude, an error, that you have in your personality that you always have to be right. And you know you've wounded people in this church, and it hasn't been over essentials. Now, you know me well enough to know that in many ways I am called to comfort the afflicted. But I'm also called to afflict the comfortable. Right? You know me well enough to know that. However, when we're preaching on the truth of the Scripture that is unequivocally clear, that's a different scenario. We're going to set our heels in, set our jaw straight, and we're not going to bend an inch. But folks, when it's a non-essential, we need to get over some things. Again, what's the big picture? What's this church exist for? Has anybody taken the new members class? What's the purpose of this church? To bring God glory. Not me. Not you, but God. What is our one mission that God left for us? To make disciples. I'm telling you folks, non-essentials will damage our, our purpose for glorifying God if we don't deal with them correctly, and it will damage our fervor and our passion for world disciple making. We can't let that happen. You know, so often when I preach a sermon, you hear it, you say, well, that's good stuff, and you go home you don't think about it anymore. I don't want that to be the case today. I'm telling you, folks, as this church grows and as things change, there's going to be a lot of non-essentials. And for some of you, it's going to rub you the wrong way. Because you know what? We didn't do it that way before, preacher. We don't like it. Well, let me just remind you. Don't let non-essentials divide this church family. Don't let it harm the unity that Jesus Christ bought for us on the hill of Calvary. We have unity today because of Jesus, right? Let's pray. Father, we love you, and we thank you for the Word of God. And, Lord, we had some distractions today, and I think primarily in many ways because the enemy doesn't want us to hear this. We're not ignorant of his devices. Lord, the enemy will do all that he possibly can to divide the church. He did it through the gospel, trying to tear down the gospel and say that Jesus plus something else equals salvation. And Lord, you gave your servants wisdom. They stuck to the word of God. And they proclaimed that you can only be saved by grace through faith. 
And then, Lord, the enemy puts that next seed in there to, to try to divide between personalities. And, Lord, he'll do the same thing today. As a matter of fact, when we threaten the enemy, that's when he gets to work. And I think First Baptist Ozark is a threat to the enemy. And, Lord, we're glad for the opposition. That means we're doing something right. But, God, would you help us in the unity of the Spirit to try to build peace on non-essentials and keep our focus on the main thing, the glory of God, as given to us in the person of Jesus Christ and the mission that you've given us to take Christ to the nations at all costs. God, help us as a church family. Lord, I pray this sermon will not just go in one ear and out of the other for people. But Lord, let's do business with you inside of this building today. As we have this invitation, Lord, if there are uh, disagreements that are festered over the years and personality clashes that have kept people at arm's distance, God, may you heal that today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.